Today, we look at higher education. Did the world learn anything from the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns? Good morning, Africa. Welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial and you can find me at Ritha Dong. The COVID-19 pandemic that gripped the world in 2020 saw universities around the world going to crisis response mode, working tirelessly to provide students with a quality education safely under the limitations of lockdowns and other COVID restrictions. In this episode, we explore the lessons learned from the pandemic and how they can be applied to design higher education's future to better reach and serve more students. How significant was the effect of the lockdowns on learning outcomes at higher education level? President of Qatar Foundation, Francesco Mamalejo, gives insight to this question. Suddenly, in just three weeks, the entire higher education system of the world was collapsed. Uh, we never imagined that would happen. Uh, but, you know, about 40% of the students in the world in higher education didn't have a chance to continue education for almost two years, meaning a significant accumulated deficit in learning that it wouldn't disappear. Now that we are sort of going back to some kind of normal life, that deficit will stay there. You know, that lack of learning that students had during that time, it won't be erased. So that is a significant challenge that this generation of students will face no matter what. And of course, we have something to do about it. Now, secondly, I think something that it has been very clear is that, as I mentioned before, many of our assumptions about what higher education is, has been truly challenged. Are rankings as important as we believe? Is the academic content as we have in the classroom, is the one that is needed? Are we, the students, are learning for what we teach? Or independently of what we teach, or even despite of what we teach, are we making enough efforts to recognize that learning happens outside of the classroom? That probably sometimes students know more than teachers. And of course, that assumption that the teachers are the ones who know, that the school is the one that needs to tell you what to learn, it is being challenged today. So that's one of the reasons why in Qatar Foundation, in our ecosystem of eight top-level higher education institutions, we are working so hard to try to see how do we shift that paradigm of higher education, how we empower the students as the central learners, the central actors of the process, and how do we make sure that we don't forget that at the end of the day, education is not only about work, but more important, about life and society. Nieves Segova from the SEC Education Group Tackles is the education system ready to deal with disruption. I think just listening to all of you, I, I do realize that I think we are near to, to disruption, to, to reform right now. I mean, I think this everything that's just recently happened and the whole conversation we're holding and these new players coming into this landscape with credentials and with alternatives for our students, uh, that, that's, that, that looks pretty much like disruption. Only we have these very thick walls uh, where we certified, someone said the diploma cartel, I mean like we're certifying this and so we're, we're in this place where we think we're untouchable. And, and, and actually our students know that that's not the case. And then society starts to understand things this way, and, and also companies start to understand things this way. So what's the reaction of students? They're they're learning on their on their own. I mean, they are learning so much more out of classrooms than in the classrooms. They are making their own choices. They decide whether they're going on YouTube, whether they're going, and I'm happy to hear nothing because uh, we all have actually done a little of that, all of us, over the past two years. I mean, we've 
we've, we had to learn and learn so many things and, and we were just looking for our ways through the internet and, 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 and really understanding which made more sense to our learning style and to our learning needs, etc. That's what students do currently. They play the game. They play the game of going to college because of this transactional idea they have. They, they, that's something they have to go through. And if they are lucky enough that their university complements with, you know, a competency-based program or a, a skills passport, that that's terrific. But why don't we just uh, embed them? I mean, it had to be a, 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 an only curriculum. And if we talked a little more to students, we would be able to co-create that. It's not a nice thing to happen. It's not an add-on. It feels like we are pushed um, to implement all those things so that we can still attract uh, students and how we can still seem to be servicing society but that's definitely not the way forward because this is more profound this is really about the whole disruption of the system and whether we want it or not these new players are here to come and our users uh, and our users are going to make their choices this is the only service that's not user-centric oh it's just everything's user-centric but not learning so we talk about learning-centric uh, uh, education models and we all cheer but it, it's always it should always have been about a user-centric kind of model where you co-create with the user needs uh, the whole model, and and that's the path forward, and that and that is going to require very profound changes. And with COVID, I think we've had this phenomenal lab of experiences, uh, of experiments that we can really not let go. We cannot forget any of what we learned, and we can definitely not go back to that back to the old normal, which is no longer there. Digitization has been a big mover of agenda in the pandemic. However, is slapping technology to this current system the best way forward? Here is Ben Nelson from Minerva University giving us his take. I haven't understood more broadly. The pandemic basically demonstrated that if you don't use technology to make your education better and have the philosophy that technology is a tool to do things that you cannot do offline, when you implement technology, your education will be worse. Right? The, the, the easiest way to, to analogy that I can think of, and I don't know if any of you have spent time in New York uh, 10, 15 years ago, but effectively, uh, the taxis in New York were told, hey, you should use technology. Their solution was put a loud screen where the button to turn off the volume doesn't work and have it scream at you on a five-minute loop um, in, in order and play you ads. That was the way the taxis used technology to make their experience better. Whereas if you go to somebody and say, hey, how can you make a ridership a better experience using technology? They come up with Uber. Higher education is the exact same thing. They have a fundamentally broken product. And instead of saying, well, what is the problem here? It's, you know, professors teach whatever they want. The classes are disconnected. People don't actually learn. When they do learn, they learn the wrong things. How can we actually rethink curricula, rethink pedagogy, rethink data and feedback using technology to do things we can't do offline? That's the way to buffet and reform universities and allow them not to be disrupted. What happens instead? Oh my God, we need to use technology right away. Let's take the thing that doesn't work offline and make it vastly worse by putting it on technology. And the entire education technology sector is that. It's how do we make what you currently do offline terribly even worse by giving it to more people. And I look at other stories making it into the podcast. 
the economy of Rwanda has advanced by 10.1% from a year earlier in the third quarter of 2021, following a 20.6% record growth in the previous three-month period. The expansion has mainly been driven by services, in particular hotel and restaurants, transport, maintenance and repair of motor vehicles, information and communication, and financial services. The industrial sector has also contributed positively, boosted by mining and quarrying, construction and manufacturing. At the same time, agriculture, forestry and fishing continued to advance solidly on a quarterly basis. The GDP has risen 1.2% after an upwardly revised 4.6% expansion in the previous quarter. Now, Kenya has recorded a 40.8% growth in tourism numbers for the year to October, despite the COVID-19 pandemic continued disruption on global travel. Between January and October, the country received 663,000 visitors compared to 470,000 arrivals recorded in the same period last year. The U.S. market recorded the highest arrivals into Kenya with 108,000 visitors contributing 16.3% of the total arrival. And a look at the markets, Cocoa Futures on the International Commodity Exchange traded close to 2,500 US dollars a ton after reaching a peak of 2,627 US dollars on December 15th as conducive weather conditions in top growing countries raised the outlook for better crop yields while chocolate consumption remained subdued amid renewed COVID-19 movement restrictions. At the same time, the International Cocoa Organization in its recent report revised its estimates higher for both demand and production for 2021-2022 cropping season. The report showed that demand for cocoa would go up by 4.9 million tons due to increased use of beans, whereas production would rise at a faster 5.2 million tons due to better weather conditions in major producing countries. Nigerian stocks inched up 0.2% or 50.7 billion naira, almost completely wiping out the loss recorded at the preceding session. A broad-based advance aided by gains from food and beverages, banking and industrial goods sectors shares. International breweries, United Bank for Africa and Dangote Cement led the climb with the benchmark index improving 1.1% week on week. Market breadth, which measures investor sentiment to its trade, was positive as 21 advances reported against 19 losers. The All Share Index expanded 18.01 basis points to 42,353, while the market capitalization rose to 22.1 trillion naira. From the start of the year till now, the index has gained 5.17%. China's Evergrande Group has been labeled a defaulter by S&P Global Ratings, while two credit rating agencies downgraded Shimao Group's holding limited, highlighting the growing stress among Chinese property developers. S&P Global cut Evergrande to selective default of its failure to make coupon payments by the end of a grace period earlier this month, a move that may trigger cross-defaults on the developer's $19.2 billion debt. S&P Global also withdrew its ratings on the group at Evergrande Crest. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K-Financial. And if you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K-Financial. <laughs>